0: We are all professional naturalists who, together, have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders, just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Hey, Kurt. Uh, Hi. Look, my topic. I'm, I'm going to be upfront. It's not too strange. I, I just, I uh, just got some fun stories I want to tell you about. Kick you, guys you off about.
1: this podcast? How dare uh, you?
0: Please don't. I, I need to make up for last. <laughs> if we, d- a if cleansing we did that. one from last week's let's say it, it does not involve corpses at all okay oh good well that's good Great. i was gonna say if we
1: kicked you off the podcast there wouldn't be a podcast because you do all the producing editing it, so <laughs>
0: that's a <your> problem <laughs> it would no one you could still get together and talk just no one would hear it mm-hmm. so um there's something magical and I hope you'll agree there's something magical about islands right yeah yeah i mean in in a biological sense, they are are traps uh, where we see a lot of evolution taking place and a lot of diversification. So we tend to talk about um, species from islands a lot on this show because they tend to be pretty noteworthy and different. Um, And I will note that Australia is essentially a huge island. So that's kind of accounts for some of the the weirdness going on there. Uh, And I've been trying to think uh, for a while about why an island seems like such a magical place in our imagination I and mean, apart from the biological wonders uh that you know geeks like us you know geek out over uh, they're you know, so good whether it's an island in the middle of a lake or an island in the ocean, islands hold sort of a special place in our minds, and i as I was thinking about this, I was picturing like you know you'll probably know because you're nerds like. Uh the 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 island and the lake in the Harry Potter films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. It, it's in tons of shots. I don't think they ever actually even set foot on the island. No, they the didn't, movies, but like it's 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 always there it's just this really cool thing to see in the background right and it it seems magical it it makes the location feel more magical sort of setting just because it's there and that's sort of the power that islands have over us and in the real world uh, many people dream of going on vacation to a tropical island somewhere so we have these fantasies or ideas about what islands are and, and what they're like and so i try to think about like really what is it about an island that has this appeal or this draw for us? And I think one of the draws, there's likely many, is that an island can be understood. Right? So we, we live on a planet that is enormous. It's huge. It's hard to really comprehend the size of our planet and it can be overwhelming sometimes. But an yeah. island, like an an island is smaller. Um you could in theory explore the whole thing, even if you don't, you know that you could. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, like The whole scope of an island can be understood. It can all be seen. It can all be comprehended. An island reduces the world to an understandable chunk. And I think that holds a certain grounding effect and a certain meaning for humans. I think there's like an appeal in our brain to that idea. And now if that island happens to be a tropical one uh, that is nice and sunny, a beautiful place that you can enjoy spending your time like, Mm-hmm. All the better, right? And realize not islands are all beautiful, tropical, wonderful places, but uh, boy, especially in the winter, going somewhere like that sounds really nice. Yes. Um, although islands that are inaccessible and hard to find are also appealing to us. You know, the movie example is like the, the skull shaped island where the, uh, you know, the evil genius hangs out with his skull volcano or whatever. You know, it's like yeah. we use these as tropes Fortresses, yes. Exactly. Exactly, And it may be very hard to get to or even hidden. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea of these sort of hidden islands is, is very appealing. I actually have a book, a really cool book about islands that someone gave me years ago. Uh, it's by Malachi Tallick. Uh, it's called The Undiscovered Islands, an Archipelago of Myths and Mysteries, Phantoms and Fakes. And the book details the stories of 24 different islands around the world that at one time were thought to be real and people have sought out and tried to reach. But it turns out in the end, they're all myths. None Mm. of them actually exist. So it's kind of a fun read. Um, People want these islands. They want these places to exist so bad that the legend of them continues on. Even after, you know, we went to all these places and mapped the world and know for sure that they don't exist. They're myths. Right. Um, so if you're looking for some fun stories about islands, uh, you can never visit. <laughs> uh, you can check out that book, uh, The Undiscovered Islands. But I want to talk about the opposite of that. I want to talk about islands that we didn't know existed that then were discovered. So basically, okay. I want to talk about new islands. Okay. Now, Certainly, at some point in the Earth's history, humans discovered like all the places we live, and some of those islands uh, are some of those places are islands. Um, so it's not too surprising that you know new islands are, are, are discovered. Uh, but most of that was very long ago. Although, actually, um, a lot of the Polynesian islands were more recently populated actually, one of the most recently populated um spots on Earth. Some of the Polynesian islands were populated less than a thousand years ago, yeah, uh, which is like nothing cool. in the scope of, of time in human history. Oh, um, yeah. But I want to focus on even, even more recent than that. I want to go for like sort of the modern era here. Um, like, have we discovered any th- islands lately? Uh, and the answer is yes, yes we oh. have. And there's, there's two, there, there's more than two, but there's two I want to talk to you about. So first up, we have literally brand new islands. Um, and where you have volcanoes underwater, mm. mm-hmm. you can get new islands when they yes. rise up. Actually, in the months leading up to the recent Tongan volcanic eruption that made the news, a new island Mm -hmm. formed due to volcanic activity. It was actually um, two islands that became connected by a new land bridge. So the new island was like two landmasses plus a connection that made a a whole new island. Cool. Uh, It was subsequently... Utterly destroyed (laughs) in the record-setting blast, Uh, so it didn't last too long, the the blast that echoed around the world and was even seen from space. Mm -hmm. So probably not that nice of a place to visit, but it'd be a pretty interesting place to visit. Similarly, I talked on the show about Krakatoa, and um, Krakatoa has been active since the big uh, eruption there, and it is creating a new island, and this new island, which is basically called Son of Krakatoa, uh, emerged from the water starting in the 1930s, and it is still growing to today, to this time. And there's plants and things on it, and it's like a cool island. Um, That's and just maybe picking up on a lot of these islands, though, are not expected to survive necessarily because they're in highly volcanically active areas. They either like subside into the ocean, or they get blown apart, and they get reformed all the time. So there, there's lots of examples of this. Which, the most sort I of feel interesting. Like, I feel like we don't yeah. generally think of
2: islands as being like blown apart or like sinking back in or anything like that like nowadays i at least i i feel like the islands we have are the islands that have always been there which i know is not
0: true but it's changing all the time yeah yeah
2: yeah but you don't i mean the ones we know of of are the
0: ones that didn't disappear you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) the ones that didn't disappear are the ones that are there and actually when i was in i was in hawaii i was on uh maui and it was looking at the history of the eruptions and how they changed the shape of the island and, like, just removed whole parts of the island or added onto the island or joined mm-hmm. different islands together. Yeah. Like, really, really fascinating how it changes. We, we just think of, like, this one period in time as, like you said, it's kind of how it is. But of course, mm-hmm. that's not at all how it is. So, one that I came upon when I was, I was looking into this more um, is an interesting new island called Surtsey. And uh, this one kind of made the news. It's uh, it's an island a volcanic origin that started to erupt and emerge from the ocean off the coast of Iceland all the way back in oh, the 1960s. Yeah. I, I heard about this. So this was yes. a, a pretty big deal. Uh, it originally, I mean, it was just erupting, erupting, and it originally covered about a square mile is how big this island was. Mm-hmm. It has since then eroded some. Uh, it's about half as big as it was, but it's still 500 feet tall. And apparently geologists actually think that this one is, is here to stay. Like it's not just gonna wash away. So that's that's, so that's exciting. I think that's a pretty cool one. Yeah, I and mean, it's it's now like it's got a name. It's sticking around, and it's not expected to just like it's not like a pile of pumice that's just gonna wash away or something. Right. Uh. So you know that one, Surtsey, and the other ones are, are new islands. But what about islands that are just new to us? That's what I was wondering. Undiscovered islands. Hmm. Yeah. So. Um, you know, islands that have been around for millions of years, but just no one ever realized it was there or visited it. Uh, turns out, I found one fun example. Um, and the thing is, we've done a pretty good job of charting the Earth, right? We yeah. We know what's what's there and what isn't there. We're not just going to usually randomly find an island we didn't know about. Except how that's wild would exactly that be? What what? That's exactly what happened? What exactly what happened when NASA launched the Landsat satellite? Back in 1972, that was Landsat 1. There's been many more since then. Mm-hmm. But in 1972, they launched the Landsat satellite. And this is like an Earth observation satellite. So it's imaging the whole world, or at least it got through about 75% of the world before it failed in 1978. But <laughs> okay. Canadians Canadians who were looking at these Landsat photos realized there was an island pictured that they had never seen before that was in Canada. Uh, it's actually up off the northeast coast of Canada uh, in Labrador. And if okay. you ever look to the map, there's there's like hundreds of islands. So you think, okay, yeah. well, not to be surprised if someone, we, we sort of missed one. You missed, missed an one. island. But it's, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not quite that. It's that this one lone island is a little bit further out to sea than all the rest. And for that uh-huh. reason, um, you know, it just got totally overlooked because nobody ever, Went out there. You you can't really see it from uh, other islands, and you'd really have no reason to be on these other islands, anyways, because mm-hmm. they're so remote. Um, but it, you know, can- Canadians were interested in this um, because there's a rule about like what qualifies as the territorial waters of a country. Yeah, and this island was mi- miles you know further away than any other island. So if they can prove this island actually existed, and it wasn't just a floating iceberg or something like that. It could actually like show that Canada Canada's territorial waters claim extended further out from the mm-hmm. shore than expected. In this case, it would mean that the edge of Canadian waters was 12 miles further out uh, than they had previously thought. So that'd be pretty cool. Now yeah. that is not a huge number. Twelve miles is not really all that far. <laughs> um and I mean, uh you know if if politically verified. Thinking. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. But if, if if verified, the new island was going to add about 28 square miles of territory to, territory to Canadian waters. So it's not not <laughs> okay. that much. Um, the island itself was not very huge. They could see that it was, uh, you, well, you can see how it would be overlooked. It was only about 82 feet by 148 <laughs> feet. So pretty uh-huh. small. And in, and in like an, you know, icy seas. Uh, it's, you can see why it was missed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But naturally, being being humans and loving to explore, someone had to go there, right? And that oh, yeah. somebody was doc- Dr. Frank Hall. Uh, it was literally his job uh, since the land had to be verified to be real. Mm-hmm. And he was the guy who, who did that. Um, So not content to take a ship, though, through these icy waters, they decided the easiest way to get there would be by helicopter. And Dr. (laughs) Hall was going to be lowered down onto the island by helicopter to be the first human to ever set foot there. And sure enough, uh, they went there and there was an island where the satellite showed it would be, which is pretty cool. It was covered completely in snow, so it was all white in an icy sea. And they they hooked him up into this big harness to lower him down to like the highest part of the island, Mm -hmm. which isn't really high, basically a big hill. And as he got very close to the surface, well, he was very close to the surface when he suddenly realized to his horror that not only was he about to be the first ever human to set foot on this island. He would also very shortly be the first human being to ever die on this island. Oh, my God. What? Because completely camouflage. Standing in the exact spot he was being lowered down to, <gasps> was a giant white polar bear. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Which he did not realize that he, he was, it was like almost the ground. Like, abort, Oh no!
2: Abort. A, so he starts like polar yanking bear. on the cable Go and like yeah, no, no, aboard, no. pull, like,
0: uh-uh. pull me up, pull me up. And mm-hmm. yeah, That's so the they quickly bear. like Rrr. they reel him back up. He sadly did yeah. not get to set foot on the <laughs> island, but they did verify that it was a real place. Um, He actually wanted to name it Polar Island. Because of the polar bear? Yeah. Correct. Uh, But it became known as Landsat Island. It was the first new island discovered by Landsat, which is pretty cool. The only
1: island named after a satellite.
0: Yeah, probably. probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Landsat has discovered some other some other islands too. But uh, I thought that was just really cool that it, there's an island called Landsat Island up in Canada. I love it. So next really time cool. you next time you are on an island, realize that you don't need to be the first person there, uh, but just watch out for bears, anyways. <laughs> you've so given my me sources some. This uh,
1: week, you've given me some topic ideas here,
0: Kirk. Oh, good. Uh, my sources this week were NASA and Wikipedia. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, it'll be Rachel's turn. hmm So at this point right here, I know everyone's expecting our sort of normal little plea for, uh, you know, please go to Patreon, but join the Society of Strange. I mean, please do that. Yeah, we'd also, love that. So, you know... I just, I'm hoping we can do something a little different this month. Um, I'm hoping you can all share us with a friend. You know, become a patron. That's awesome. It's not for everybody, uh, but a way you can support us other than, you know, financially is tell people about the show. You know, the more friends you share us with, the more people find out about it. And we love to have you know, be hearing from more more listeners and be getting out our our signal out there. You know, we'd love to be doing this for an ever growing audience. And I can tell some of you have been doing that and I appreciate it. But I'm hoping that some of you can share uh, our podcast out there, share it on social media, share it with a friend over a cup of coffee and just take this month to share us with a friend. How's that sound? That would really help us
1: out.
2: That would super help us out. I know I talk I talk about the podcast like all the time and
0: Oh, I don't shut up about it. Yeah, it's great. It's it's amazing. <laughs> but I only know so many people, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you enjoy this show and you like find yourself like, Oh, I gotta tell someone about this weird thing i heard on the show Mm -hmm. uh please do share with your friends what you heard but also say hey here's where i heard it you might enjoy this show if they enjoy the stories you're telling from the show uh you know give away your secret source uh bring them into the the society bring them in on the fun and uh the more we grow the more we can do and we just love having you all here
2: yeah
0: all right let's get back to the show rachel i think it's gonna be your turn
2: So as both of you know, uh, I just recently went through, and I say recently, I, I went through it today, uh, a water safety training as part of my work as part of being summer camp. And a lot of what we talked about was how to go and rescue a drowning person, uh, out on the water, as well as, um, what to do when you reach that person and things like that all about being safe for yourself as well as that particular person. But a lot of the skills that- we were learning were how to flip the person onto their back as well as like get them floating on top or near the surface of the water. And sure. as, and this actually kind of came up, uh, while we were talking or while we were discussing different scenarios and everything, but it got me thinking about how, uh, cause a couple of our, um, couple of the staff are actually international, um, staff. So they came from, uh, they had learned something different over in the UK where they're from. And oh, sure. um, it was a, a way for them to like be saved or whatever if they're like out in the middle of like the sea. But the sea, of course, has salt in it. So it's a lot easier to yes. flow. Very different. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit different. Whereas here in Minnesota, there's a lot more, uh, it's all fresh water. I was going to say <laughs> a lot more. It's a all fresh water, yes. It's all freshwater. I ran into that.
0: (laughs) I ran into that when I was teaching. I used to teach a lot of Girl Scout uh, canoe, like the small craft badge specifically, which Mm -hmm. doesn't exist anymore. But they wanted all these kids to do this rescue float, where when your your boat capsizes, you are supposed to tuck your knees up to your chest and like kind of bear hug your legs and learn how to float there until you can get rescued. Turn around so your
2: face is in the water. Well, I was like, I
0: was like. I was like, "Hey, look, you guys. Look, if you really want to learn this, I'll teach it to you." Um, we in any lake in Minnesota you're canoeing in, you're probably not going to be more than like thirty feet from the shore. Mm-hmm. Don't don't float here for four hours, wait for someone to rescue you. Just you got a life jacket on, go swim to shore and walk out of the lake. So it's more just like or or it, the book was learned. clearly written written yeah. by written by people who, you know, were learning how to use small craft in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Totally different thing.
2: Very different. But it got me to thinking about like salt contents and uh, certain lakes and oceans and like j- just what all that kind of means. And it brought me to what is the lowest point on the planet, or on land at the, least. The, dead, the sea. dead Sea. That's
0: that's qu- that's quite a uh, hold on. I'm stream sorry. Stream of consciousness, John.
2: <laughs> uh, thank you. Take- <laughs> Well, there's a lot of, like, connections that were made. We actually brought... I there was some think steps in between, up, but
0: yeah, you got there. Yeah.
2: Well, okay. at some point in time, like, I think during the training and everything, I brought up the Dead Sea, and it's like, yeah, you would just float because of how salty it is. But it, it just got me thinking about the Dead Sea. Um, so I wanted to learn a little bit more. So my topic today is the Dead Sea. Oh, oh. cool. Very, very cool. So for the most part, there's not much or any life in the Dead Sea. And part of that is just because of how much salt there is. Um, it is nearly 10 times saltier than seawater. Wow. So um, to give you a little context, it's about 340 grams of salt in every liter of water. Don't get that in your eyes. All right. No, 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 no. Yeah. That is one thing that they tell you you cannot ever, ever, ever. If you swim in the Dead Sea, you do not ever want to open your eyes underneath the water because it'll just make your eyes burn. Um, How does it
1: do with other mucous membranes is what I've always wondered. It's a good question.
0: I don't know. I mean, our bodies are salty. I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather get salt water at my nose, for example, than get fresh water at my nose, mm-hmm. which is very painful to get fresh water up your nose, but salt water feels fine.
2: I'm still dealing with the fact that I got a lot of fresh water up my nose. Um, But because of how salty that water is, it actually causes the water to, like, so it causes the water to be denser um, than our human bodies. So it allows us to be able to easily float on the top on the surface.
0: Yeah, I've seen some, like, pictures and video and stuff, and it looks, like, really weird to swim in.
2: Yeah, it does. To give you a little context, um, at the surface of the Dead Sea, um, I said it was the lowest point on Earth. It's about 1,400 feet below sea level. It's located between Israel and Jordan, so it is really low. And then at its deepest point... Which is nearly a thousand feet deep, so that means the lowest point there is two thousand four hundred feet feet below sea level.
1: Oof. Wow, wow,
2: yeah. Um, now here's the thing: is unfortunately, um, in recent decades, uh, due to mining and other uh water issues in that particular area the Dead Sea has actually become both lower and saltier in recent decades. But one thing I wanted to um, talk about was more about the history of the Dead Sea just in general because it's kind of bizarre. Because why does it have that amount of salt in it, you know? Like, that doesn't make much sense. Um, So a long, long, long time ago... um, it actually, about, what was it, about 18,000 years ago, uh, it was actually originally part of a much larger lake uh, that extended to the Sea of Galilee. So what ended up happening is thousands and thousands of years ago, it was part of this much larger lake or sea um, that eventually split due to the shift of some tectonic plates. Uh, okay. It was Ooh, that's like a, one
0: of Victoria's favorite topics. It yes. is.
2: Um, it was actually, it was still the lowest point on Earth, but it was connected not only to several of the rivers, but it was also connected to the Red Sea. Um, oh. There was another shift, and it cut off the connection to the Red Sea. So the Dead Sea okay. now receives water from uh, a couple different rivers in the area, like the Jordan River, but it no longer has any outflow. Yeah. Now this particular right. space is known as like um, the Syrian-African Rift Valley. Uh, so it's in the Middle East between Israel and uh, Jordan, like I said earlier, but because of that. Space, the climate of that particular space it gets all of this input from uh from the rivers it has nowhere else to go but it gets regularly gets very very hot in that space so it causes the water to evaporate and leave behind the minerals and the salt so it just builds up and builds up and builds up in the remaining water as it gets refreshed so it's the, from the So the salt
0: that's always been there. It's just mm-hmm. there's less water, so the concentration of salt is higher. Yeah, because at one point There's not new salt time, coming in.
2: There's not any new salt coming in because at okay. one point in time, it was, uh, it, at one point in time, it was connected with uh, the Red Sea, which is a uh, right. salt
0: so that's water. Where, that's, right, so that's where the salt came from initially, the salt water.
1: Initially. Yeah. The river inflow is just not enough to dilute the salt that was already there. No, not at all. It evaporates. It evaporates more than it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And not only that, but there are actually some fairly rich salt deposits in that area, um, which are, that's what I was wondering. Yes. There Um, are rich salt deposits in that area and in that space as well, which contribute to the salinity of that particular of the, dead sea
0: um so somewhere way way yeah. way 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 back in time there was some other sea that completely dried up that mm-hmm. then left behind huge salt deposits which are now leaching in even more into this yeah. smaller body yeah gotcha
2: yeah it it was um a, according to one of my sources which was uh dead um there's a bunch of different theories too but uh there's one thought that the area was actually repeatedly flooded from wa- by water from the Mediterranean Sea creating some sort of lake that connected to the Red Sea eventually and it, there was just a lot of um there's just a lot of little creations that were created there's a lot of theories about how exactly it came to be but sure. it's still pretty nuts um yeah yeah. so i just wanted to talk about the dead sea and yeah because it's just kind of crazy how it's so, so uh i mean of course it's just evaporation but still
1: it is an extreme so it's it's always interesting to hear about extremes
2: yeah
0: and extremely, lake. Extreme lake. or sea. We're we'll called a it sea. It's a big lake, sea. Yeah,
2: it's a, it's a pretty big. Well, that's because we live near a very large lake that could be considered a sea, but it's freshwater.
0: Oh, you mean uh, Sea Superior? Yeah, it's that Superior one. Sea. Superior yeah. Sea.
2: It is the superior of the seas. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we return, it'll be Victoria.
1: Well, this was one of those weeks where I came across a news item and I was like, that's it. That's my topic for this week.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, we, we got we got messages from you saying, uh, have you no looked at doing, the news recently? Like, yeah, it was I very just like, sure. like you, you, and you didn't want to I, go into what it was, but
2: yeah. And to be honest, like I had seen news recently, but I chose. So that caused me to not look at the news
1: anymore. <laughs> okay, you'll be surprised then. <laughs> Well, this story starts back in 2009 in the Caribbean or the Caribbean, depending on how you want to pronounce that. And, Oceanic uh, water episode here. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to stay in the ocean exactly. So Dr. Olivier Gros was working in the mangrove forests of Guadeloupe, and he mm-hmm. noticed a dead leaf in the water that was covered with very thin white filaments. So Olivier brought this back to the lab and he thought at first they were probably fungi or maybe some kind of sponge or other small animal. Mm -hmm. However, yeah. However, once they got the strands back to the lab, um, they did some analysis, including some DNA analysis, and eventually discovered that these were bacteria. Okay. Yep.
0: I saw the headline. I didn't read the article. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I
1: okay, have thought, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> they thought, okay, so these are probably like really long chains of bacteria, kind of a colony, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Well, not so fast. Nope. What? They looked at the strands under an electron microscope, and they were shocked to find that each strand was a single giant bacterial cell.
2: What? Yeah. What? Huge. That's huge. You can't normally see bacteria with the naked eye.
1: That's right, Rachel. Uh, You cannot.
0: (laughs) What? Uh, Well observed. Well spotted, yes.
2: The largest one
1: that they observed was 20,000 microns long. That's two centimeters, folks, or about three quarters of an inch. Uh, Wow. Wow. That's like the diameter of a penny. Oh.
0: The I average, mean, small, that's, but that's, huge, that's right?
1: big on
2: bacteria scale.
0: I'm, I'm literally holding a penny right now for reference. Yeah. And it, it does not quite, feel like a bacteria should be this big. That no. seems super wrong. Ooh, it's a wheat penny. Go Ooh, me. Oh, a wheat wow. Penny. That's probably that's why it was sitting there. Uh, so the
1: average <laughs> length, 22 centimeters was like the biggest one. And the average length was was 9,000 microns, which is 0. 0.9 of a centimeter, which is still very large. That's um, like a giant to us. Yeah. To say this is mind-blowingly large for a bacterium is really understating it. Uh, one of the most common bacteria in the human body is pretty average size for a bacteria. It's Escherichia coli, E. coli. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a gut microbe, and it has an average length of two microns. So <laughs> now to that's, put this in perspective...
0: That's smaller.
1: That is smaller. Put this in perspective. Just a bit. The average U.S. woman is 1.62 meters tall, about five feet four inches. Yeah, it's and, a Rachel. we're oh, going with this? Yep. It's Rachel. If a person were as much bigger compared to an average woman as this new bacteria is compared to E. coli, this extremely tall person would be 16.2 kilometers tall. Kilometers <laughs> <What? 10> <laughs> tall?
2: Oh, yes. oh my god. <laughs> that is. Oh my that god. Is, Ten so miles tall. I, oh, 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 that's. I was gonna say. Oh, I was so like, basically, Paul No, Bunyan. I don't want to be amazing. that tall. Oh, Even I don't want to be that Paul tall.
0: Bunyan. Oh. oh. <laughs> that is a like, lot of Rachel. I, I hope. Oh my gosh. It's because there's there's a common oh. name in there somewhere that has something to do with giants or Paul Bunyan or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. I like it.
1: Well. I was going to say it's awkward to keep calling it this new bacteria, so I'm going to give you its scientific name even though it doesn't have a common name yet. It's called Okay. Biomargarita magnifica, which is a pretty good one. That is pretty good.
0: Uh, wow, so the, the magnificent margarita. That yeah, is so also what I is heard. actually yeah. sulfur. It's a sulfur-eating bacteria. Okay. Um, I don't like the idea of a sulfur a, a sulfurous margarita that doesn't sound quite as No. Um, Sounds refreshing. eggy it does sound oh, eggy oh, <laughs> oh, God. don't Herky's put eggs out. in your margarita people <laughs> or well, on your margarita pizza either, actually either, i mean if uh, it were like uh
1: if it, you know there's there's cocktails that have egg like white, egg in white. Them. yeah like like frothy, a sour yeah, still whiskey sours are still. they're
2: pretty good yeah, yeah but if,
0: if you got sulfur your egg has gone bad don't do yes. that, that this.
1: is that's true, that's true.
0: I feel like we've, we've strayed a bit from the topic. <laughs> Just a
1: bit. Bring <laughs> us back so, there, Victoria. I want to talk a little bit why, about why it is so strange to find such a large bacterium. So we're going to do a little biology review. So okay. first of all, animals, plants, fungi, and the huge array of single-celled organisms that we call protista, are mm-hmm. all, they're all eukaryotes, um, which means that their cells have Love their it. DNA yep. that's contained within a nucleus. They have different membrane-bound organelles within the cell that do a lot of different functions in the cell. And also the cells have various types of internal structural supports, and they kind of act almost like guy wires to keep the cell from tearing apart, even if it's fairly large. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And the nucleus and the organelles also help the cell function efficiently at a fairly large size, because it means there's specific sites for specific functions like DNA replication. And right. they have mitochondria to produce the energy for the cell. Um, and if it's a bigger cell, it just can have more mitochondria, right? Right. So, the
0: powerhouse of the cell. Correct. Exactly, the powerhouse <laughs> of the
1: cell. Thank you. Most <laughs> eukaryotic cells are still what you would consider quite small, but they're a lot larger than bacteria. So, you mm. know, average bacteria size, as I mentioned, is about 2 microns. The average eukaryotic cell size is 10 to 20 microns. And some can be much larger. So, for example... The muscle cells in the human body can be two to three centimeters long. And um, an ostrich egg cell before fertilization is about one and a half centimeters long. Okay. And there's also a species of algae that it turns out is single-celled, but each cell is like <laughs> 15 to centi- 30 centimeters long. So like a- <laughs> six oh, man. to 12 inches. Um, wow. But it's kind of branched like a frond. So it's a leaf shape almost in itself. Pretty cool Cool. topic for another episode. Uh, Algae is so cool. Yeah. Bacteria and archaea, on the other hand, are prokaryotes. Um, Normally, their DNA just exists as a free-floating loop inside the cell, Mm -hmm. and all of their cell processes are basically dependent on diffusion, and metabolic reactions take place, like the energy that runs the cell takes place within the cell's outer membrane. So if you're only two microns in size, it's fine because mm-hmm. um, everything is pretty close to where you where you are. But sure. um, as the cell gets larger, the surface area to volume ratio decreases, and it starts not being able to make enough energy for its size because it's limited by the amount of space on the membrane to make energy. Right. Sure. And. And replicating DNA also becomes a problem because you have to first find the DNA in this huge space. Yeah. Um, And so it's not right there anymore. So, you know, for a long time, biologists thought that these factors were an absolute limit on the size of bacterial cells. Mm -hmm. But there were some discoveries in the 1990s that started challenging this view. They started discovering some larger bacteria that have actual different compartments kind of similar to organelles in function, um, which can help overcome wow. those, those issues of DNA replication and energy metabolism. Sure. So, f- so for example, um, they found a bacteria that's, uh, it's a symbiotic bacteria in surgeon fish that is about 600 microns, that's so 0.6 millimeters or about the size of a grain of salt. Thio Margarita Magnifica still blows all of them out of the water, so to speak. 100%, yeah.
0: We, we yeah. need that salt for the margarita, though, so I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Yes. Anytime. Indeed. So how does it get around all these problems of being so large? Well, they're still right. learning about it. It's like, it's like it.
0: a big city where the recycling plant is, too, is far away and the garbage is far away. and the, it, You can't get anywhere. It's not a yeah. little city.
1: It's uh, its problem, and one of the ways it solves it is that it has a very large vacuole in the center. So this is basically a fluid-filled Ooh. sac that doesn't do anything, okay. but it pushes the cytoplasm, which is like where the business of the cell takes place, mm-hmm. to the outer margin. So okay, all right, it reduces the amount of space that stuff needs to diffuse across to get cell things done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that's not all. Um, it also it straight up has membrane-bound organelles. <laughs>
2: Whoa! Yeah, I mean, you're that large. You one kind of have to, Ooh. but two, you just absorb whatever is near you because you can because you're that big.
1: I mean, they're different than the ones in eukaryotic cells. Sort of cells? break
0: our right. definition of what a bacteria is at all. Like is it kind like a of does. Of yeah, it bl- it starts
1: to blur the boundaries between prokaryotic and eukaryotic cells, and. Right. For one thing, it has multiple little DNA containers, which the researchers who discovered this are calling pepins, like little seeds. Um, okay. So it's basically like a mini nucleus, and it includes ribosomes, which um, translate DNA into proteins, huh. uh, all, in, all in that one site. So it has multiple sites where it can replicate the DNA, which is pretty amazing. And. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the various membranes of the cell surfaces have all kinds of compartments and, I guess, folds. And so there's a lot more space for energy production, too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Now, obviously, like, there's a a lot of questions about this, this species that we don't know yet and a lot to still be found out. So one of the questions we don't know about is you can you can like pluck this off the leaf and move it and it, so it's very s- sturdy and robust. So what kind of internal support structure does the cell have to help it hang right. together like that? And, you know, importantly, like why is it so large evolutionarily? What Yeah, how did you get to be that, that large? Yeah. Especially yeah.
2: since nothing else is even close.
1: Yeah, that we know of. Yet. That we know of. Right. I mean, the bacterial world is really almost unexplored when you think about what's out there. Oh, one hundred percent. Right. That's so what you got to
0: go into, kids.
1: Get on it. Ah. microbiology, bacteriology—that's where the, the money is. Uh, so yeah, it's just really fascinating scientific discovery that I needed to talk about, and uh, I hope to learn more about it in the future. Yeah, same. So yeah, for this wild. Yeah, wow. for this um for this research I relied largely on a New York Times article by Carl Zimmer and a news article in the Journal Nature that was by Katherine Sanderson. Thank you to those sources.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: Awesome. Wow, yeah, I'd seen the headlines but I did not realize how strange it truly was.
2: Yeah.
1: Brand new information to me. <laughs> I was the last one this week, right? Yeah gonna wrap this up yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. okay thanks
2: everyone for listening uh we'll see you next
0: week
1: see you (laughs) then all
0: right bye everybody (laughs) thanks everyone for listening to today's show be sure to subscribe new episodes drop every wednesday and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. maybe maybe it's madagascar i don't know you can't prove Mm -hmm. it you'll (laughs) have to
1: find out